You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today on the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Today, Dan and I are talking with Raina Lombardi. She is a registered board-certified art therapist, art therapy certified supervisor, and licensed mental health counselor, who's a qualified supervisor practicing in Fort Myers, Florida. If her name sounds familiar, that's because she was on the Protecting Your Podcast or Protecting Your Practice podcast previously. Um, so if it's ringing a bell, that might be why. Um, and you can check that out. She is the owner of Florida Art Therapy Services, where she and her small team of therapists provide in-person and technology-facilitated individual and group art therapy and counseling services. They contract art therapy groups at various community agencies, provide supervision, do continuing education programming, and she's contributed to several academic texts on the topics of art therapy and clinical supervision. Hi. And um, we're not even done, Raina. There's so much information I was say, about you. There's also the creative <laughs> clinician's corner that you also do, right? Yeah. That's, and the and you didn't you have a podcast as well, which is the creative psych a psychotherapist, right? Yes, which you guys so, were on. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can just tell you tell our listeners a little bit about that as well. The creative th- psychotherapist. Um basically we essentially um that's where you interview successful creative therapists about the tools and strategies that they use to grow their own practice we've been on it um talking about um our ourselves and some of the stuff that we do as well so is there any point where you actually rest because before we started you also said you were getting up at 5 30 in the morning to go to the gym not 5 30 earlier dan five, or five o'clock to get to the gym 4.30. And I was actually saying that I was jealous. Class. You're what I aspire to be. And meanwhile, you're doing all this stuff on top of it. And, <laughs> and yet she looks very put together and with it. And, you know, it's great to have you here again. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be with you guys again. <laughs> yeah. So you have your hands in lots of baskets. I do. And, yeah. And today we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit different because for season two, we've been talking with practitioners about challenges they've experienced, how they overcame them, what they learned from them. And the topic that you're going to be sharing about today is a little bit more personal, mm-hmm. um, but also navigating the personal in a professional context. And, yeah. you know, it is that reminder that. We are, as therapists, are humans, that life happens to us too. We're not immune from the life stuff. So that's kind of where we're going to be going today. Sounds good. Kind of one of the things that I think we, based on what we've discussed, was that you're also going to talk about is how to navigate your own grief as you're working with clients. Um, And I want to start there. I'd like to hear from you, you know, if you're in a space where you're dealing with trauma or grief personally. You know, how does a therapist go about processing that, handling that while you're also taking on other people's grief and trauma and helping them work through that? Mm -hmm. I think it's like such a complex answer, right? It's not a single thing. It's a bunch of small things that together allow you to continue to work or to pause for a while 
Mm -hmm. uh, before you come back to work. But I think it's one important to really understand who you are, how you process emotions, how you work through your emotions and what your bandwidth is, right? Everybody has a, a battery, let's say, right? Like earlier you were saying like you, you're doing so many things. How are you doing so many things? Like, how do you have the energy to do that? Everybody has a different, I think, amount of energy Mm -hmm. that they're able to give to certain things, right? And particularly when it comes to therapy, somebody who's working with one population of people, maybe it's right. Maybe it's like a really easy group of individuals that they're serving. They're serving people that are functioning really, really well Maybe they're just going through some life transitions and there's not a lot of trauma. There's not a lot of heavy stuff, right? The amount of emotional energy that it takes to hold space for those clients is not necessarily going to be the same for if you're working, let's say, in a practice where you're serving children that are working through victimization and childhood trauma and things of that nature where you're mm-hmm. really holding a lot of heavy duty stuff. I know for myself, one, I think in both cases, like I've been in practice for a really long time where I've lost both my parents at different times, different times in life, but I was in practice in, in both situations, but both of them had a cancer diagnosis. And mm-hmm. so I had, I had an awareness that it was going to happen. It So I was having like anticipatory grief mm-hmm. even before the actual death, because they were going through treatment until the treatment didn't work anymore. And then there was a conscious decision to stop treatment and, you know, the rest of the process. And in both situations, I really had to check in with myself each week of like, where was I? Do Can I come to work this week? Mm. What can I do? What can I do? Is it reasonable for me to say, I need to not take on any new clients until I'm at a different stage, Right. I, I need to set a boundary about taking on any additional um, tasks in my business that relate to client work. Maybe it's like taking on an intern in my practice or something like setting that boundary to say, no, I don't have enough emotional energy mm-hmm. to be able to support that. I don't have enough en- emotional energy to onboard another person in my business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have enough emotional energy to work with the, with, a certain client that I'm working with. And maybe I have to have that conversation with them and say, you know, this is what, this is what's going on in my life. I personally, um, in both situations was, um, I felt it appropriate for me to disclose what was going on in, in my life. Um, and it was because it had gotten to a place really close to uh, preceding their passing in both my parents' situation, where I definitely was not as 
present, right? I had to work extra hard to remain present and focused in the space with the client and on what they, you know, the, what, whatever we were doing together, whether that was Mm -hmm. playing, whether that was making art, whether that was talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I could tell that they recognized Mm -hmm. "Hmm, something's Mm -hmm. not right with her. Like it's one thing if she has an off day, but it's another thing if it's like the past couple of weeks have been Mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was honest, this is what's going on. Um, and you know, either in both situations, I said, this is it. You know, my parent is, is at the end stage of cancer and, um, I'm going to be taking time off soon. I don't know how long it, I haven't decided how long I'm going to be taking off, but I know I'm going to be taking off and I want to give you the choice of what to do. Um, we can work on transferring you to another therapist um, to, you know, make sure that you're being attended to, or if you feel comfortable, we can continue to work together until such time I take the time off and I'll keep in touch with you about when I'll be returning. Question. Was that hard? Did you find that difficult or were you comfortable? Was it relatively comfortable where you'll handle it? You know, because that that requires a degree of vulnerability mm-hmm. to to be open with that with anyone, you know, particularly your own client clients. Um, I think because you're you're sharing your own experience with trauma and grief. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not always or for many people, that's not an easy task to to be open like that, to to kind of expose that to other people wouldn't be willing to have their kind of responses to that. That takes an act of courage, I think, to do that, to be able to have that conversation. Was that something you found you were comfortable doing? Was that something that you felt like, obviously you felt compelled to do it. You felt like it was important to do it. Um, but was that something you had kind of had to push yourself a little bit to do? Or was that something you felt relatively comfortable and um, at ease doing with them? I think, in the first situation, so my my dad passed first, and at that time, I was in a group practice. So I was working for somebody else in their practice as a contractor, and so I didn't have as much responsibility. I also had a lot of support, mm-hmm. um, and I talked about it in supervision too, like leading up, like you know. Because as therapists, I think it's not just, you know, I'm being vulnerable about sharing something that I'm going through, but, you know, most of us learn, like, we're not supposed to self-disclose at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people, it can be like a very hard, like, no, I don't share anything at all about myself. I did feel compelled to do it because I felt like they had the right to know why I was showing up the way that I was showing up because I wasn't, I wasn't able to be there at my maximum capacity, but I also wasn't being there at like a minimal capacity. It just, I wasn't, you know, really giving everything that I had in previous 
you know, sessions with them and mm-hmm. there's a notable difference. So I felt like they needed to know I didn't have to disclose all of the details, but it was hard. It was hard because it was so raw mm-hmm. for me, right? To be able to say this and to be able to say it knowing that it was probably going to be a tearful moment for mm-hmm. me, which um, I think is humanizing. And I think that the folks that I worked with were extraordinarily understanding. And, um, and they were like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. I was wondering because you just have seemed, you know, this or that. So they had been noticing, I think in being vulnerable, it shows that I'm not a robot. We're not robots. We're human beings. We're going through all this stuff too. We're working through our problems and challenges and traumas and griefs just like the rest of uh, folks in society. And I think it, it was motivating for me because it, it was like, by me doing it, I'm giving permission for you to do it also Mm -hmm. to say to your, you know, wherever you're at in work, I'm going through this and I need time off because emotionally I'm unable to be present, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in regards to the amount of time that, um, at least for me, I needed um, where, I mean, most corporations or agency work. I mean, what do people get? Two days bereavement, three days bereavement, some kind of joke, like who's ready to go back to work, especially as a therapist. If you lose a significant other, a parent, a child, you know, if you, you lose somebody, you're not ready to go back to work and, and hold space emotionally for somebody else after three days. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of really good points that you're bringing up, right? The topic, the thing that we're always talking about, how much to disclose, what to disclose, how much to share, um, wondering how people will respond to it. Um, But one of the things I hear you say is I had support. I had other people that I could talk to. I was actively engaging around this topic in supervision that you had a reason for sharing. You're like, my clients notice anyway, right? I should share with them. And also, it sounds like you were able to model self-care for them in terms of being able to say, you know, I'm going through a hard life thing too. I'm letting you know. These are your options. I want to make sure that you are still cared for, taken care of, and that you know your options. Um, and I want you to know that I'm going to, I'm going to do what I talk about in sessions. I'm going to take care of myself. Um, and so I think all of those things are really um, important things to point out here. I'm wondering. You said that you know one of the losses you experienced happened in group practice. Another time it happened when you were managing your own business. And I'm wondering if you can talk about similarities, differences in navigating losses in those different contexts. So I think some of the similarities were in both situations, I had kind of prepped the clients that this is what was happening. And that, you know, in intense anticipation, I don't know when, but at some time soon, 
um, this will happen. And in both situations, I had somebody else making the calls after the actual event. I didn't make those calls myself. In the group practice, uh, the group practice owner that I was working with and for, she was able to do that for me. And then in my own practice, I had my virtual assistant helping me to make all those calls, cancel all the appointments. And then once I was ready to return to work after my mom passed, she helped me get everybody back on the books. Um, So I didn't have to make all of those calls too. Um, So those were some like similarities. I think probably the differences is that in my own practice, I took a lot more time off. And I also told people earlier on, because at that time, my mom lived about two, two and a half hours north of me. And I was kind of splitting up my week, traveling back and forth to go visit her every week and give my sister some respite so that uh, my sister, we were taking care of her in the home and give my sister some time off. I would go up and then come back you know, work for those few days of the week and then, you know, turn around and drive back up. So I was taking more time off in advance of Mm -hmm. her passing. Um, And then I also took like large, like a week here and a week there time off to go up and spend with her as well. So I think having my own practice allowed me to take, I think probably cumulatively at least four months off uh, that year that Mm. she had passed. And that was kind of, you know, before, like while she, while she was, and, you know, still living, um, but just being able to have extra time with her. And then after like in the immediate, immediate aftermath, then, you know, time for the services and beyond. Like I just needed time. I took and like trips too to just get away and continue to process even, you know, months after that I just still needed that time to work through the the grief. Mm-hmm. There's something you said, there's something you didn't say, but there was something you basically implied. And I want to point it out to everyone listening because it's really important. And you didn't say it, but you did it. And what that was, what I heard, one of the things I heard, you said a lot of great things and and really introspective things. Um, And I want to draw away from that. But I do want to bring one thing out that I did hear you say. And that was you made a comment about how you felt it was only... I'm going to paraphrase. I'll be right to your clients to let them know what was going on because it potentially was affecting you. Mm-hmm. To my ears as an attorney, what I hear is I have an ethical duty to my clients and I know I'm not my best and I'm not providing them the clinical therapy that they're required that they need to have. And I'm aware of that. And now I'm making steps to address that. Mm-hmm. And what I would just point out to the listeners, everyone listening, is what you did was something you have an ethical duty here. When someone is in your shoes and you become aware that there is some sort of trauma or um, loss in your life that's affecting you as a person, you have to do an evaluation, I think, ethically to make sure that it's not preventing you from being 
you know, ethically at your best for your clients because that's your requirement, you know, just mm-hmm. as being a licensed clinician. I thought that was a really astute way you phrased it. And it wanted to draw everyone's attention to it because I thought I think you did exactly that. But I think that's such an important point as you a person in your shoes is dealing with grief and loss that there is an ethical uh, compliance component here too. Yeah. I knew like in the anticipatory phase, I was compartmentalizing a little more effectively, but mm-hmm. I was still taking time off to mm-hmm. be in process. I think like every week when I was driving up and back, I spent, you know, at least five hours a week crying mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the car by myself. That was like my processing place. But then afterwards, just not rushing early on, earlier on in my career, when my dad died, I tried to go back too soon. Mm -hmm. And I was driving into work. At the time I worked at a therapeutic school and I was working in the private practice at the same time. And I was driving into the school one morning and I just became so flooded and dysregulated. It was only about a week afterwards. And I like pulled over. I called and said, you know, I'm not going to, I can't do it. I Mm -hmm. like, I can't do it. I need more time. And I, and that stuck with me, you know, the second time around with my mom, like, okay, you're going to need more time. You know, you're going to need more time. So plan for that, be proactive about that plan for that and take the time that you need regardless of the expense. Because, because what you're saying is right, Dan, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been effective. You know, it would have been helpful right, to my clients. I mean, and I think there's also a component and not necessarily maybe in your case, but I think there's a component here too, that you have to be careful. You're not harming your client. You know, yeah. if someone is in your shoes and just by nature, I mean, it's the natural response. I think it's only natural that this is the case that you're wrapped up in what you're dealing with. It's, I would think it's, you have a heightened risk of missing something or someone saying something to you when you're in session with them that might be normally be a red flag or a trigger, mm-hmm. right? And then with what you and Melissa do with practitioners like you guys do, it's so important because body language and what people say often imbues something much deeper that's going on that can really mm-hmm. affect someone, you know, say, you know, their safety or someone else's safety. Um, so I think that's a great point. You mentioned that when your dad passed, you were in supervision. So you had someone to kind of process this with and talk about how you were going to handle mm-hmm. addressing to the clients. When your mom died, obviously you were out of supervision based on what you were saying. And so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what kind of support uh, systems, what kind of things you know. I know you talked about going taking time off and taking vacation or taking mm-hmm. you know time away. And I think that's true. But in terms of actual support, I, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day. We we're talking about who do therapists turn to to talk to when they have issues. And so that's my question to you is who did you rely on you know, mm-hmm. to talk to, to help process this through, to help you kind of guide yourself through this you know, once you realize you need to step away a bit? You know, that's, this is a really great question. I think I feel really fortunate in that the people that I had working with me at my office 
my assistant at the time, the other therapists that work with me there were super supportive and helpful and, you know, were very giving. And I think a couple of them have gone through some, you know, similar things. And um, so I was able to talk with them, but it was really interesting. What I noticed was as, as an independent business owner, one of the things that I really tried to do is develop relationships with other therapists in the community for marketing, for, you know, being able to do, uh, provide other referrals and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. I have kind of a, a nice network of other therapists that, you know, they're colleagues, but I would also say they're friends Mm -hmm. and, um, and they really showed up for me in ways that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just exceptionally grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and wasn't expecting mm-hmm. and wasn't expecting. So between that and I did a lot of processing with my sister and one of the vacations that I did go on, uh, my sister and I decided, all right, we've been doing all this caretaking. We're going to like treat ourselves and go on a trip where other people take care of us. So we went to like an all-inclusive resort in Aruba for sure. a week. <laughs> and that was really nice. How did you know when you were ready to come back? Did you like, was there a, you know, was there a situation where you're like, you were at Aruba or you were doing something? You're like, okay, I think I'm ready. Or was it more gradual? And over time you realized, okay, I think I'm ready. You know, how did that kind of, how did you kind of make that determination? It was. It was definitely more gradual. I think I think I took close to like three weeks in the immediate passing of my mom. And I kind of titrated back at slowly where mm-hmm. I wasn't taking on anything extra, anything new. I was really trying to keep things minimal and kind of work my way back and test the waters. Cause I didn't want to like jump in and then be like, ah, I can't swim. I've got to tell everybody I'm out again. You know, I didn't want to do that. So I just listened to where I was, you know, it's a strong barometer. If everywhere you go, you feel dissociated, you know, when you're grieving in in active grief, if you're so in it, it feels, it feels um, like you're in another world and everybody else is living in this one. Mm -hmm. You feel almost like you're like in a dream state looking in Mm -hmm. and it's just weird. Everything is slowed down. Everything is, um, like hypersensitive to everything. Once that started to kind of dissipate and I felt my body able to be present in the world and not feel so disconnected, Mm -hmm. that helped me to know that, okay, I'm moving to a place where 
I will be able to go back to work soon. Because mm-hmm. I could, you know, in that state, I couldn't hold anybody else's stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. the the first time I went to the grocery store after um, I had gone, my husband was sick and I was going to get some stuff to make chicken soup and there really wasn't anything in the house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to force myself to go to the grocery store. And I remember like walking in and it was such a surreal experience. I felt like I was starting to have a panic attack and I'm not, I don't really have panic attacks. So um, it was a foreign experience, but I know enough about what they are to know that that was what was happening. And everything in my body was telling me to just drop my basket and run. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think because of our training, I was able to coach myself through it, just focus on my breathing, get into a relaxed state, name it for what it was. This is just what's happening because you're grieving and the rest of the world is functioning like normal. Mm -hmm. And that is so incongruent with where you are. Mm -hmm. And you can do this. You can just get the few items that you need. You'll be home soon. And I was able to to get myself through that. But that was a sign to me, you know, if that's what's happening, being in the grocery store, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't be around people. I can't be around people and have a conversation with people. I think you really have to be engaged in your own reflective process to understand what's happening with you and to know, like, again, you know, where's your battery in terms of how much energy you have to be able to give, you know, my energy wasn't the same. I couldn't see six people in a day and be okay. You know, like when I first got back, it had to be only three or four. Um, You had to work back up to it. So, you know, what your energy battery is, but you also know where you are emotionally, um, what you can handle and what you can't. Yeah. And Rena, you know, you've had two losses happen while you were, you know, while you're working in different group practices. And, and it sounds like the experience the first time around informed how you responded the second time around. And it sounds like there are some things that you have since thought about logistically right? Mm -hmm. With regard to losses, whether it's with regard to time off or fees, um, having an admin person or someone who can support you. And I'm wondering for some other people who are, you know, this is on our radar, what are some things that you've thought about now with regard to time off, fees, um, those supports that might be important for other people who haven't been through this to at least have in the back of their mind? Yeah. You know, I think for me, it's um, one of the things that comes up a lot for therapists in private practice, right? Is how am I going to afford to take the time mm-hmm. off? And then it becomes a mm-hmm. it becomes an ethical challenge for people because they feel like mm-hmm. they need the money to survive. They have to work, um, even though they might not be in the best emotional space mm-hmm. to be able to do the work. And so really setting up your 
when you're budgeting on what are your fees going to be for how many clients you're going to see, how many weeks per year. That's how I like to do it. And I really like to budget aggressively so that I am, when I'm doing that calculation, I'm looking at at least 12 weeks off per year. And that seems like a lot, but it really isn't. 12 weeks is about what, three months? Three months. It's not a lot when you consider sick time, when you consider training that we're going to take time off to do trainings and conferences and things like that. You're probably going to need to take time off for admin and you're going to need to take time off for emergencies. So if you're budgeting aggressively 12 to 14 weeks that you know that in the rest of those weeks in the 40 weeks or the 38 weeks, you need to make enough money in order to cover all of that time off as if you were working every single one of those weeks, you can set your fees at a, at a point that it's going to accommodate that. But I don't think a lot of people do that. And then they get themselves in a sticky wicket where they're like, well, I really only budgeted two weeks off a year because that's the model that we came from. Right. Um, but really we want to be more aggressive about it so that in the case of an emergency like this, um, where it's a life circumstance, you're not worried about it. The other piece is just as you would have um, savings for your personal life, you know, you know, a certain number of months of savings, you want to make sure you have a certain number of months of savings for your business that you're actively putting money away so that in a time of need, you have that safety to say it doesn't matter because it's taken care of. I've prepared and it's taken care of. I can take as much time as I need. The last thing that you want to do is to have to like feel, feel like you have to go back to work because you can't afford not to. Yeah. Now, Rena, for people who maybe don't have their own private practice or their own group practice, but maybe they work at an agency or maybe they do work at a group practice and so maybe they don't have the ability to set their own fees or, you know, mm -hmm. their vacation time is what it is. And at the same time, maybe they know that they're struggling. They know that ethically they need to be in a good place to show up for clients. Um, and if they're not, clients will notice. I do know that clients will notice. What are maybe some things you would encourage clinicians in those settings to think about? Maybe conversations for them to have, any planning that can be done? What are some things that you might recommend? Gosh, I mean, different agencies have different policies. Um, but there's always the option of saying, I need to take time off and I'll take it off without pay. I know in different situations, I've had to do that in past um, places of employment. Uh, so there's that option. But in some cases, um, they'll have like shared time, like maybe mm -hmm. other people would be willing to donate some of their paid time off to be able to allow that person to have an extra time but have it paid in during that time of hardship, but definitely, you know, making sure that you're actively saving um, so that you have that resource, those resources for yourself. If those other options aren't there and talking with the employer, really having a conversation with 
the supervisor of like, what can the agency or what can the practice um, do to support you during that time? What are they willing to do? Are there any extra accommodations that they might be able to provide to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that part about having an honest conversation is so important. You know, I think there are times where I have seen people want to be back. They, you know, they want to, you know, because that maybe they think that that's what will make my employer happy. I, I want to come back. I know they're going to want me to come back. Um, I'm trying, you know, but maybe, um, but maybe I'm not really uh, listening to my body. Maybe, maybe I'm not being honest with myself about where I am and I'm trying, but I'm not succeeding. Um, which then makes it difficult for you, the individual who's grieving, right? Because you feel like you're failing if you're trying to go back, but you're not ready. But then also if you're telling an agency, I'm going to come back, but then I'm not, right? As opposed to this is where I am, mm-hmm. you know, which might allow an agency to plan or prepare um, for that person to take time off and, and adjust however they need to. So I think that part about having an honest conversation rather than holding it in, rather than feeling like you can't have that conversation is really important. Yeah. Hugely. Mostly kept saying the word honesty. And I think that was, to me, it sounds like what, based on what you're telling, you're, you're, you're telling us is you had to have a real honest conversation with yourself and your clients. I just had a quick question on that note, you know, because being able to be brutally honest with yourself when you're going through something like this or being able to be able to have that honesty with your supervisor or with your own clients, that's, you know, I mentioned this earlier, again, I think that comes back to the point of really that takes a certain degree of courage, ability to actually look inward that not everyone may always right away be willing or able to do. So yeah. leads me to the question is, what would is the most difficult part of your experience as you're going through these two different deaths? You know, we're not talking a distant cousin, although that can be just as tra- traumatized. We're actually talking about the loss of a parent here, which is, you know, a profound impact as you're relating to us. So what was, was there a, a moment or a uh, part of this that was the most difficult for you? Mm. You know, I don't know that I can, I can really identify a single moment. Mm-hmm. I think in both cases, my mm. life was significantly impacted mm-hmm. um, and, and everything felt hard during both of those times, like everything felt hard. Getting up in the morning felt hard. You know, taking a shower felt exhausting some days. You know, going to work definitely felt hard (laughs) sometimes. And afterwards, right? At like everything, everything about it was hard. I don't think that there's a single piece that like stands out like this was harder for me than this over here because it was all hard in its own way. It was hard to have the honest conversations with the clients um, to to disclose something that deeply personal. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's completely relatable, right? We we're all children. We all have parents. Like we all experience the death of a parent at some point in life. All of us. Whether that is like, I never had a relationship with a parent and there's this ongoing grief that one experiences throughout their life, right? I want to honor that it comes in different forms in Mm -hmm. different ways. 
that was challenging. Um, coming back to work after that period of time off and like me thinking like, okay, I think I'm ready. I feel ready, but I still feel nervous about it and uncertain about it. And like worried, like, okay, what if I, what if I'm not ready? What if I, you know, get back and have a couple of days and go, oh my gosh, like, I'm not really, I'm really not ready. But actually, I think I had waited long enough to the point where it was like, it was nice to focus on them and not be focused on myself. Mm -hmm. And what I was experiencing, it was like mm -hmm. a relief to be able to be with them with what they were going through. So it, it was okay, but you still have those worries, you know, of like doing a good enough job. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it almost sounds like the normalcy, right? Returning mm -hmm. back to your life was its own sort of sense of healing, right? In that it really provides you something to come back to, to help you kind of you know, be in a position now to move on, right? Where you're not stuck in this, you know, uh, circle of grief. And that's, I think, sometimes happens with people. And it's probably people why people come to see therapists, right? It's because they can't get out of that grief. It sounds yeah. to me like this return to normalcy kind of helped you kind of, you know, start to move forward. It helped me start to move forward. And it was also hard at the same time, because when we start that process, there's this intense level of guilt that surfaces mm -hmm. sure. because there's this deep sense of not, not wanting to like let go of sure. the loved one. Right. Yeah. Almost like a sense of, you know, guilt that you're moving on with your life, that you're mm -hmm. less continuing. And this person you've lost has not had that opportunity. And you know, I can see why that would be very heavy mm -hmm. to process as then you're now starting to move back into your life and start to deal with other people's loss and, and issues that can be really, you know, a heavy thing to come into. Yeah. I mean, and it obviously I just start, like I lost, like lost my voice. I started to cry yeah. because it's still so relevant. Mm -hmm. Sure. And my mom died what? in 2019. Well, and I think there's something to it there that, you know, and probably this is something you probably even talk to your own clients about that you don't, you know, it's okay to not be okay, but that it's also okay that there's a part of you that doesn't recover, you know, doesn't get over. You don't just get over this. And it's, it's not that all of a sudden everything magically is hunky dory, but that there's always going to be a part of you that certainly grieves. But I think mm -hmm. it's, you know, my own experiences is that you learn how to do it healthy so that you can still feel that sadness or that loss and not have it be debilitating to your mm -hmm. own life. Yeah. I definitely embraced the feelings, like all the feelings they came when they came. It didn't matter if I was in the grocery store sure. um, or it didn't matter where I was, you know, if I'm like driving and I'm like crying, which was probably dangerous, but, but that's just what happened or, you know, wherever you are, it comes and I just honor it, let it come and not, not try to block it because I don't want it getting stuck in mm -hmm. there. Um, I'd rather feel it and know that, okay, like this is expected that these are, this is an expected experience as a human being. And I think so many times our own lived experience, even the ones that are super painful, sometimes allow us to 
obviously we're talking about things that you've learned so other clinicians can learn today, but also I think, you know, the experience that that provides us as we're working with clients too, having gone through some of these experiences. And I'm thinking about, you know, one of the things you're talking about today is the different ways that grief can show up, right? Whether it's grief because a relationship never was what we wished it had been, right? We're talking about anticipatory grief. We're talking, you know, maybe an unexpected or sudden loss. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, now that we're talking about you going back to work and the feelings that come up with moving on or trying to move on, but then also thinking about anniversary dates, right? Mm -hmm. Those sometimes painful anniversary dates, right? So maybe it is years later. And as a therapist, how do I navigate those anniversary dates that still might be very painful? Mm-hmm. I took time off again. Mm-hmm. I I knew just from like past experiences, like that my body has a sense of knowing that date, even mm-hmm. if my mind hasn't recognized it. And so I knew, okay, mm-hmm. like I'm taking, you know, I'm taking her birthday off. I'm mm-hmm. taking the anniversary of her passing off. I took time off um mm-hmm. even like the following year because yeah every every milestone is another iteration of feeling yeah and again i keep hearing this theme of kind of like learning like this is what i learned after the first loss for how much time i needed you mm-hmm. know for this other one and i learned that i need these certain dates off that that didn't work right and so also giving that permission to learn along the way learn Mm -hmm. what you need. Right. And to even notice like in the moment, if you think, okay, I think I'm ready and you start to go, it's okay to say, I'm not ready and call it off Mm -hmm. and, and leave. But what I will also say is as it's happening, one of the best supervisors I've ever had early in my career, he would always talk about, um, you know, 90% of the work that we do is just consistently showing up for the client. Mm -hmm. It's not about all the other stuff we do. It's about our presence. So 90% Mm -hmm. of the work is about presence. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is you never, ever, ever want to come into work and give a hundred percent of your energy a hundred percent of the time. And the reason why is because in a crisis, you're not going to have the energy to expand. You only allow yourself to expend the amount of energy that is necessary for whatever it is that you're doing. You don't need to be going above and beyond and overboard because that is going to be detrimental in the long run. Mm -hmm. And that always sticks in the back of my mind that, you know what, even when I have like, when I'm recovering from a cold or, you know, from Mm -hmm. being sick or like I was out, you know, a number of years ago for surgery and recovering from surgery. When I came back, I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. Right. But what was the maximum amount that I was able to give without being detrimental to myself and the other person, right? Yeah. That helps you. That's real, right. Well, and 
And we really appreciate you being so honest. Um, You know, I think one of the things that people will notice, right, is that honesty, that authenticity with your clients throughout this process, your willingness to be honest with yourself and listen to your body, your willingness to share honestly with us. Um, And I think it's just a good reminder for all of us that we are human. We are not immune from the life stuff happening to us. Um, sometimes I think our clients might think that like they have a perfect life. Everything is perfect for our therapist. Right. <laughs> and so there are these moments like this where there are these opportunities to say, no, we're we're real people, too. And, you know, real things happen to us, you know, and so I really appreciate, you know, you sharing about something that just certainly, you know, is a really hard and painful experience so that the rest of us can can be thinking about these things as well. And if someone is like, hey, I. I can get down with that. How can people find you? How can they connect with you? Sure. Um, they can find me on my website, creativeclinicianscorner.com, and they can send a message there, or they could uh, send me an email at my practice, Reina, R-E-I-N-A, at floridaarttherapyservices.com. And the website there is the same, floridaarttherapyservices.com. They want to learn more about uh, practice related stuff, Um, but I'd be happy to talk with anybody and help them out if, you know, they're trying to navigate that situation because it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and if you're like us and you enjoyed listening and talk, you know, us talking to Raina and you checked out our podcast and listened to it, we have one more episode that we've done with Raina on burnout. So we definitely encourage you to check that one out as well. Raina, we do appreciate, really appreciate you coming and being open and honest and talking about this. Um, it's not that often that we get to have a much more personal topic that we mm-hmm. talk about on on, on this, this podcast. A nice change of pace. And I think it's really refreshing to be able to have an open, honest discussion like this with someone, a practitioner like, such as yourself. So I'm grateful for you coming. And thank you for that. And to everyone else, thank you for listening. As always, uh, I'm going to give my standard disclaimer. If you are listening and you think, how do I get on that podcast? Well, we have an opportunity for you. You can certainly go to our website. You can go to our Facebook page. We do have a brief form we'd have you fill out. Um, If you have something that you've overcome in your practice um, that you think other people could learn from, we are welcome you to reach out to us. Perhaps we will be in touch and maybe have you on. Other than that, if you have any feedback, comments, you want to share your own anecdotes, we would be love to hear it. Please reach out to us on Facebook and our website as well. But um, other than that, thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.